Lovely, lovely people, and welcome to the fourth BJJ Strength podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Griffiths. If you don't know me already, I operate a strength and conditioning website, physical optimization website dedicated to the jiu-jitsu athlete called bjjstrength.com. If you haven't seen it already, go over, check it out. A bunch of great content, a free breathing for BJJ course, which is going to be very relevant to today's topic so get on over there guys um let me know what you think and all my contact details are there get in touch so today's podcast is going to be around not fitness per se for jujitsu but where people have a i'm gonna say a perceived lack of fitness so this podcast episode is targeted to anyone who is wondering why they're on the mat three, four, five times a week. They've been doing jiu-jitsu for years. They've been told that to get fitter, they just need to do more jiu-jitsu, but they still don't feel fit enough. They still feel like they gas out when they train and they're, and, and they're questioning, what am I doing wrong? And this is a topic that I think about a lot and I have many conversations with, with people around how do I improve my fitness, but there's one particular conversation I've been having with someone over email and this person has been doing jiu-jitsu for 13 years. They have a resting heart rate of 56. I'll get a little bit into why that's important as we go on. That's a good heart rate, by the way. It's a very healthy heart rate. I don't know this person's age because we've only been exchanging exchanging emails, but I believe them to be in their 30s or 40s. That would be borderline athlete or borderline excellent. Yet they still feel like they gas out when they train jiu-jitsu and they are told all the time that you just need to do more jiu-jitsu to get fitter. This person has been doing jiu-jitsu for 13 years. It's clearly not working. So what's going on? And I don't think this individual is going to be the only person with that problem when it comes when it comes to jiu-jitsu. So that's what I want to talk about today is why, you know, I want to try to answer the question that people are asking themselves, why can't I improve my fitness for jiu-jitsu? And I'm going to call it a perceived lack of fitness, and we're going to get into some of these elements uh, as, as we talk. You know, what, what's going on? What's really going on in the, with, it, with this situation? If we use a resting heart rate and someone is fit, why do they not feel fit when they roll? So I'm going to talk about how do you determine if you're quote-unquote fit or not. Some considerations that you may want to look at if you feel fit or sorry not if you feel fit but if your heart rate tells you that you're fit but you don't feel fit on the mats and then some other considerations if you're just generally un- un- unfit that you could you could take on i don't know all the answers to this topic i don't know all the answers to any topic but 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 i'm going to share my thoughts today i think about this quite deeply i think it's an important subject and i hope you're going to find it interesting i hope you can take some of these tips and improve your quote-unquote fitness for jiu-jitsu. So let's start off with how do you determine if you're fit or not? 
the quickest, easiest, and cheapest measure is going to be your resting heart rate. If you are in a state of rest, typically that would be five to 10 minutes of sitting down and doing nothing, or sitting or lying down and completely relaxing. You know, you haven't got any caffeine in your system. You're not in a you know very highly stressed state. Uh, you know, you, you just generally relax. That's the best time to measure your heart rate, and that's what we mean by resting heart rate. I think that I'm going to say is obvious to 99% of people. Um, I'm not going to be. That's not a massive pearl of wisdom that I'm sharing with you guys, but it's something that maybe we don't consider, and I think it's something that people definitely don't measure maybe as often as they should. It's an important measure for overtraining, but to, uh, but specifically talking about fitness today. You know, resting heart rate correlates very strongly with something called VO2 max. And I'm sure you've all heard of VO2 max. Um, but in terms of what that actually means, a VO2, ma- VO2 max is the, the greatest amount of oxygen that our body can use at a cellular, a cellular level. And it's one of the most um, widely accepted um, measures for cardiovascular fitness or cardiovascular performance so you know the resting heart rate vo2 max is the better measure to use but that requires you could there are some estimates that you can do but typically would require equipment going to a lab someone to actually do that for you but resting heart rate just know that a good resting heart rate correlates very strongly with vo2 max anyone can do that anyone can do their resting heart rate at any time so it's going to be the easiest measure for you to use now how do you know like you take your resting heart rate how do you know whether you're fit or not uh the, the easiest thing to do is to google resting heart rate chart and there's going to be several charts that come up that tell you based on your age and based on your gender because it does differ between men and women what the ideal resting heart rate range is for you to be in a certain category now of course these are guidelines it's going to there's individual differences but they're guidelines to tell you whether you'd be deemed, quote-unquote, an athlete, whether your heart rate would be, quote-unquote, excellent, and variations on that, or, quote-unquote, go see a fucking doctor because you're about to drop dead um, if it's really bad. But, you know, elite, elite, endurance, elite endurance athletes, and this is a very broad range, can have anything between 40 and 60 uh, beats per minute in terms of their resting heart rate. I think if you want to be considered fit, this is my personal opinion, um, and maybe others share this opinion too, but being below 60 beats per minute is probably a decent benchmark for most people, and of course that's going to vary based, based on your age. But that's the first thing that you want to be doing, and the first question you need to ask yourself is, am I fit or am I unfit? Take your resting heart rate, take it on several different occasions when you're relaxed and, and work out the average. I think a typical way to do it would be to take three measures and then take the average of those three, measure it over a couple of days as well. So maybe you've got a particular spike on one day because you were stressed or tired from the day before. But start to get to know your resting heart rate, I think is a really important concept. And and then look at those charts based on your age and based on your gender and where you, where you fall in. I think if you want to consider yourself you know, as really fit, then you, you need to be an excellent and bordering on athlete. If you're, uh, you know, uh, considered you know, fitness for jiu-jitsu has been a big problem for you, but a good benchmark for most healthy adults. Uh, maybe there's research to back this up, but in my opinion would be 60 or below. Really, you want, you want to be in the 50s to consider yourself as fit. But here's the problem, and the problem that I discussed earlier with someone that I've been, been working with 
is that they've got a resting heart rate of 56, which based on their age, I'm guessing their age, they'll have to let me know if that person is listening. They're borderline athlete or excellent. So what's going on? If their resting heart rate is low, they seem to be quote-unquote fit. But when they roll, they don't feel fit. They gas out. And they've been doing jiu-jitsu for 13 years. So what I'm going to talk about now, some some considerations uh, you know, that you want, to, you want to take on board and maybe implement if you have a good resting heart rate, but you gas out when you train jiu-jitsu. It's going to be looking at some research and then also tying in with some, some observations of mine from my time on the mat. So one of the most obvious things, well, I, I say it's obvious, maybe it's not obvious, but one of the easier things to fix and something you can fix immediately is your hydration. How much water are you taking on on a daily basis? So a, a decrease in hydration levels of 1%, really starts to impact your body's ability to, to manage your core um, the core body temperature but more importantly when you get into a three to five percent drop in hydration levels that starts to put strain on the cardiovascular system and there is research and you know, apologies I haven't got stats to show that you know hydration levels are going to perform are going to impact your performance as well so and you know obviously the, the, the there's massive health implications as well particularly if you're training in a hot climate but hydration is one of those things that maybe is overlooked but can have a massive impact on, on your on your performance and is also one of the easiest w- w- ones to fix so how do you know whether you're hydrated or not now the first thing you probably should do and one of the easiest things you should do is look at your piss or urine if we're going to be technical and is it orderless or mostly orderless and does it have a light straw color or a color of lemon juice um, some people some people describe it so this should be a slight color, color um, and you should be mostly orderless if your if your if your piss is or urine again if we want to be if we want to be technical is it's like it's a dark brownie orangey color it stinks then if you've been on a bender the night before then yeah maybe you can explain that but if your if your urine is that color all the time you're not drinking enough water or it's a really good indication that you're not drinking enough water and again with any of these recommendations there's going to be individual differences but generally that means you're dehydrated if you're taking certain supplements then you know um there's uh, I forget the name, Barocca, I think is the name of the supplement. Barocca, I've got nothing to do with those guys, but it's one of those tablets that you drop in water, it fizzes up and you drink it. That can turn your urine like a bright orange color. So if you're, I think beetroot can turn your, your, your urine a little bit pink. So if you're eating certain foods, then you know look out look out for those. But if you're not and you've got pink urine, then I think go, go see your doctor. Maybe you've got some problems there. But generally, uh, you know, look at the color of your urine and, and the order of it. Um, it, you don't want it to be absolutely clear. That can be a sign of or overhydration. But you know, more importantly, a light straw color and orderless to let yourself know if you're hydrated enough. It's one of the easiest and quickest measures that you can use. Now, the other important thing to do here, uh, if you want to get more detailed into how much you, you should hydrate, if you know you're in a good hydrated state before you go into training, then when you come out of training, sorry, if you know you're in a good hydrated state before training, weigh yourself. How much do you weigh before training? And then how much do you weigh after training? And let's say you've lost two pounds or three pounds in body weight, you then know how much you need to hydrate. 
I believe that 500 milliliters of water weighs half a pound. So, you know, you can multiply that up. If you if you lost three pounds, you probably need to drink one and a half liters of water to rehydrate. And, you know, that's not going to impact your performance in that particular session, but it could impact your performance on the next session if you don't hydrate yourself enough. Now, the next thing that is massively overlooked is what you actually put in your water. Now, when you think, this is, you know, fairly obvious when you think of you know how your sweat tastes it tastes salty and that sodium chloride leaving your body and sodium chloride is one of the major electrolytes that your body is getting rid of when you sweat too much so placing salt in your water is a great way to replenish the electrolytes and allow your body to rehydrate much more effectively um, potassium is something that's also lost um, when you sweat but to a lesser extent mostly it's going to be sodium chloride now you could use sea salt or table salt that's mostly going to be just sodium chloride what i recommend is actually using pink salt or himalayan salt and using that in your water because it's going to have um potassium it's going to have sodium chloride and apparently 80 84 other um you know minerals and elements in the water so you get you know much bigger bang for your buck and i personally think it tastes a little bit better in the water than than table salt and sea salt but that's you know that that's that's preference so that's the first thing that you want to consider is your hydration the first thing and one of the quickest things that you can fix to try and improve your quote-unquote fitness so drink enough water look at your urine what color is it does it smell too much and add a little bit of pink or himalayan salt into your water it's going to do you wonders so if we move on to that the other thing to, to say is body mass if we look at studies and look at what correlates with vo2 max and again vo2 max is one of the most widely accepted measures of cardiovascular fitness those with a higher body mass um, it tends to negatively impact the VO2 max. Now, the, the study that I looked at didn't break out whether that's you know body fat percentage, waist to hip ratio, but it, you know, ask yourself this: you know, are you carrying a little bit of extra weight that you could maybe lose? Um, it's going to impact your, it's going to impact your performance. So you know, it's it's a big subject to get on and get into in terms of weight loss. But just ask you when you start asking yourself the right questions and you're going to start to find the right answers of what it is that you may need to fix so i just want to put that one out there right here is that you know your body mass has been shown to negatively impact or increase body mass to negatively impact vo2 max so consider that as an element in terms of your fitness and it leads into into my next point and that's going to be your nutrition and again nutrition is a huge huge subject and uh, I've got an article on the website, um, Seven Principles for Nutrition and for Life. If you Google BJJ Nutrition, you should find find that article. And I think nutrition and something like weight loss needs to be, um, you know, completely managed in its in a, in a separate episode. But refer to that article and think about what it is you're eating. Um, and just some quick some quick pointers would be, uh, you know, making sure that you've got adequate. I'm going to say carbohydrate and there's going to be people out there that uh, you know follow a keto diet and they perform very very well but if you look at um, you know the research and the articles published by uh, you know sports performance organizations then you know carbohydrate is it's a key fuel source for our body and it's a key fuel source when you're performing sports like jiu-jitsu some people perform very well very well on a keto on a uh, 
on a ketogenic diet, others don't. So, you know, uh, look at, and again, in this article, it's going to tell you, you know, um, you know, where, um, you know, how much carbohydrates to eat, etc. Um, you know, are you getting enough protein intake? Are you getting enough fat intake? Fat, fat is essential, is essential to the body. Um, and it's, it's a key, it's a key fuel source. But, you know, on top of that, are you eating too many processed foods? What kind of fats are you getting? Are you getting processed fats or natural fats? Are you eating too much sugar? All of these factors that can impact your performance. Too much caffeine. Um, you know, caffeine has been shown to I- impact performance. And I, apologies, I, I forget the, the stats and research off the top of my head. But it's also a diuretic, so it's going to impact your hydration, which we've just talked about. So again, it's a huge topic and I'm kind of really bumping over a lot of the details for nutrition purposefully because we could, could go down a rabbit rabbit hole. But ask yourself, is your nutrition as good as it could be? And again, you ask yourself the right questions, you're going to get the right answers. So we've talked about hydration, we've talked about weight, and we've talked about nutrition. Now the next thing I'm going to talk about, and again, right, I'm, I'm, I'm not going into fitness work per se yet because I think that, that comes last before you... you eradicate a lot of these things so the next thing i'm going to talk about is are you strong enough and are you are you strong is a bit of a catch-all term for for strength and for power and for explosiveness um for the purpose of this podcast because again we can go down and go down a rabbit hole on that topic um but using it as a general catch-all is you know are you strong enough to perform some of the more some of the quicker, more powerful movements when you're training jiu-jitsu. I read an interesting time and motion study that looked at black belt fights. And typically what happens in a jiu-jitsu fight, and I, from my personal experience, I, I feel this is, this is fairly true. Most of the time during the match, I think it was about seven and a half minutes on average, is, is spent in a lower intensity type um lower in, lower intensity uh, exertion so you know where you're moving but you're not moving too much and then it's about two and a half minutes where it's you know a, a lot the movements are a lot quicker and that's not seven and a half minutes and then two and a half minutes in two separate blocks it could be you know two minutes followed by 15 seconds so two minutes of low activity and 15 seconds of higher activity back to another two minutes of lower activity uh, so that's what the, the time and motion study showed, and that matches with my own personal experiences. Well, personal experiences, as well. So you know why is that important, and why is it important in terms of your fitness? Um, you know, t- typically, uh, a aerobic training. So a, a, the the aerobic uh, energy system is when we're using oxygen as our main our main fuel source, and some of the stuff that we've talked about in terms of resting heart rate and VO two max and improving those in terms of your cardiovascular fitness. Um, one of the one of the adaptions or the long-term adaptions to aerobic training or fitness work is, well, not, not one of the adaptions, one of, one of the things that lacks is it doesn't, it doesn't improve, um, typically is not gonna improve your strength. And it may in, in improve, um, you know, strength endurance, but for lower power output movements not the higher power output movements. So you may be fit, but do you have uh, you know, enough strength and enough power, to de- power development to handle those periods of 15, 20, 30 seconds when you're fighting at a higher intensity? And so we've talked about the aerobic energy system. The two other 
energy systems are going to be the glycolytic and the anaerobic energy system when you start to get into the more intense um you start to get into the more in intense exercises so so let's use the correct terms when we talk about the th the three uh three main energy systems in the body it's going to be the phosphogen system it's going to be uh the glycolytic system and it's going to be the oxidative system um rather than using the term anaerobic let's use the correct terms so the phosphogen system is going to be the primary energy system when we're doing very short um uh, very short exercises very short movements of just a few seconds uh or you know even less than a second but of a very very high intensity when we get into the uh, glycolytic system it's when it's over six seconds, um, you know, up to 30 seconds, is going to be a crossover between the phos phosphogen and the glycolytic system. Um, but then when we get into a work effort of, uh, sorry, a work period of 30 seconds to two minutes, then it's going to be um, you know, more predominantly just in the glycolytic system. And it's not really until we get into work periods of over th three minutes that we get into the oxidative system. And all of this is related to the intensity of the exercise as well so if you're working for two seconds but of a very very low intensity you're only going to be in the, in the oxidative system so think about it in terms of you know the the lot the shorter we work for and the higher intensity is the more likely we are to be in the phosphogen system the next energy system is the glycolytic system and the the longer we work for or at the lower intensity we're more likely to be in the oxidative system i hope I hope all that makes sense and there is and there is a point to this and the, and the point to this is that you know just by doing you know kind of a, a, a aerobic work and just working through the oxidative system we're not going to most effectively develop the phosphogen and the glycolytic systems and you know one of the one of the ways to develop that is going to be through strength work and through power work so we're training the energy systems that sometimes we're going to need when we're fighting jujitsu yes strength training makes you stronger power training is going to make you more powerful but if you're having to exert much more effort to try and handle those periods of higher intensity during a fight um, someone that's not as strong someone that is not as powerful is not going to be able to handle those periods of higher intensity as well as someone that is strong and is powerful that and you're going to exert more effort and there and therefore you're going to quote unquote gas out quicker than if it's easier for you to handle those bouts of, of um, you know higher intensity movement so it's a consideration i think in terms of fitness and i won't get into into the energy systems i won't get into power and strength development i did a little bit in some of the other podcasts this is more about fitness but again it's about asking yourself the right questions you know maybe some strength training maybe some power training is actually going to help improve your fitness so think about that one as well so we're still on the recommendations here of someone who's got a good resting heart rate they are quote-unquote fit but are finding it hard to or feel like they're unfit when they're training they feel like they gas out we've talked about hydration we've talked about weight uh, as in your body weight we've talked about nutrition we've talked about you know raising the question of are you strong enough or are you powerful enough but next let's go into uh, a bit of a favorite topic of mine and that's breathing what are your breathing patterns like and the question to ask yourself here 
is when you're training, are you spending the bulk of your time mouth breathing or are you spending the bulk of your time nose breathing? Nose breathing, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. I think there's a lot of intuitive um, you know, insights that we can bring to nose breathing and there is some research that I'll talk about in terms of the benefits of nose, nose breathing over mouth breathing in terms of a more efficient way to breathe when you're performing a sport. And you know, tying it into some kind of observations as well from my time on my mat, on the mat, it's not the only factor, but one of the big factors that I see in terms of people gassing out when they're rolling is they're breathing really heavily through their mouth all of the time when they warm up, when they drill, and when they roll. And then they wonder why they gas out. And we know intuitively that, you know, from when we breathe through the mouth and taking big breaths, it typically comes from the upper chest. We start to use the chest muscles. We start to tense up in the neck, in the shoulders, in the jaw, in the face. And we're making this big effort to bring in this, to bring in um, this breath. And, you know, the more, you know, the more tension that we've got, the more energy we're using, the less energy we've got for other things. All of this tension takes up energy, even if, even though it's a kind of, you know, an automatic movement just to kind of breathe in and maybe, maybe, you know, incorrectly breathe in through the mouth. Um, but we should also know intuitively that when we, you know, bring out, calm our breath down, when we breathe through the nose, um, we breathe from the diaphragm and the bottom of the lungs, we're far more relaxed. Our shoulders relax, our necks relax. We're using a lot, we have a lot less tension um, and that tension requires energy. So we're using a lot less, a lot less energy and we tend to be a lot more relaxed when we, when we nose breathe. Um, but that's, kind of just you know in, in intuitive and a little bit of anecdotal stuff so i've been looking at the research in terms of nose breathing and it's not unequivocal that nose breathing is absolutely better for you in all forms of sport and i, I don't recommend that or you, or all intensities of, of an exercise that you're performing um you know there, there's going to be times that you're going to need to breathe through your mouth and but that should typically be reserved for you know the high intensity work and for short periods and then trying to bring yourself back to the nose breathing in my opinion but let's let's talk about talk about the research um there's some interesting findings that i came across where well first of all before we talk about these findings i think breathing and nose breathing is in my opinion a little bit under researched if people have got um you know papers that they can send me links absolutely i love this stuff please share it but the stuff that i did see uh, looked at you know comparing nose breathing to, to mouth breathing and I believe it was done on in, in, in with with bikes cycling um, in terms of measuring the impacts on a couple of factors that we'll talk about so the first thing was the heart rate between um, mouth breathers and nose breathers there was no um, no difference in terms of the heart rate when they were exercising that was interesting so I didn't not not no difference but no significant difference uh, between between the two so that was that was interesting um you know heart rate your heart rate is one indication of how hard you're working but when they talked about the three other findings then it kind of starts to open up open up things a little bit in terms of the benefits of nose breathing so one was that the breath rate was lower so the number of breaths per minute taken by people that were nose breathing was much lower than when someone was mouth breathing and I think it was 14 for nose breathing and a staggering 48 for mouth breathing. Um, 
which is which is which is quite a difference. And you know, the less breaths we take, the less you know, less contractions um, that we're you know having to perform, and potentially the less energy we're using. Um, you know, they didn't differentiate was when they're doing less breaths was it one bigger contraction as a for, as opposed to a, a lot smaller contractions but you know you can start to think about if i'm breathing less am i you know using less energy and does that that help um, in terms of an impact but perceived perceived exertion was another measure as well and for those of you who don't for those of you for those of you that don't know perceived exertion is quite a common measure in sport performance research in terms of um, you know how obviously how hard someone thought the exercise was, but it ties you know quite closely to VO two max. It's not a perfect measure, but um, sorry, not VO two max, but how much of someone's VO two max they are using. And this study showed that nose breathing there was a much lower perceived exertion than when using mouth breathing. So are you using much less? of your oxygen capacity when you're nose breathing versus mouth breathing and again i'm extrapolating here i'm not saying that's a fact but it's interesting and one you know an interesting thought to look at in terms of yeah your nose nose breathing versus mouth breathing and the last finding for this study was nose breathing actually lowered the fight or flight response that you know highly alert state that we are in and you could argue that in this highly alert state, um, maybe that's better for jujitsu. Maybe you don't want to turn off that response entirely, but it also is a state of of high stress for the body. And when we're you know more stressed, are we carrying more tension um, as opposed to when we're relaxed? Do we uh, do we flow a lot more when we roll? Uh, does it allow us to move more freely um, as opposed to being in this kind of you know tense tense state? It depends whether you're training, whether you're in a competition. You probably want to balance between the, the two. Um, I didn't intend to talk about this, but I'm thinking here about the kind of the inverted U theory of arousal and sports performance, where you know a certain level of arousal is good for your performance, but as, when it, when it goes past a certain point, then uh, it starts to hinder your performance. So, how much do you want that flight to fight flight response? turned on it was in it was an interesting finding don't know exactly yet what it means in terms of fitness but it's um i could probably do a lot of a lot more research on the nose breathing for the mouth breathing and i will but you know if i go you know from an observational perspective as well the people that have good breathing control and breathe through their nose tend to be the ones that are just go and go and go um and not necessarily in terms of an intensity when they train jujitsu but they have a gas tank and they can just keep moving between position and position. So it, it, I think it's an under-researched area, nose breathing versus mouth breathing. But I personally think that, you know, and, and I've heard anecdotally from a lot of people, that when they move to more nose breathing over mouth breathing, really, really improves their jiu-jitsu, and they feel a lot fitter when they roll. So think think about the breathing. By now, you probably know I've got a free Breathing for BJJ course on the website that you know addresses some of these issues and how you can train breathing. But... For me, I think it's a big import. It's a big factor in terms of perceived fitness. And if you are one of those people that has a good resting heart rate but you feel unfit, I think you should really focus on your breathing and try to improve improve your breathing over the other stuff that we talked about. Now, I've got three or four other things that I want to I want to throw out there in terms of 
what I think could be impacting your fitness levels if you've got a good resting heart rate. This is more observational. Um, you know, maybe at a later point, I'll do some research or look at the research and what it says in terms of these factors in sporting performance. Um, but one thing about jujitsu that I think leads into these next three things that's more important, not more important, but very different to testing someone's fitness if you're just going out for a bike, uh, a bike ride or you're going out for a run or you're going for a swim is that in jujitsu, you're not just going through the motions. And not to say that you're just going through those motions with these ex- those other exercises, but nobody's trying to choke you out. Nobody's trying to break your arm when you're going for a swim. Or if you're going for a swim and someone is trying to break your arm, I don't know where the hell you're swimming. But I think you get my point. So you've got these a lot of factors to consider. It's, it can be you know much, much harder to get into kind of a flow state, let's call it, and you know move fluidly through all the different positions. And think about you know your breathing and think about tension. Uh, when someone's trying to choke you out, there's a lot there's a lot of things to factor uh, to factor in. So it's not surprising that um, tension, which I think is the next thing I want to talk about, that I see a lot of people carrying a lot of tension when they roll and when they try to perform movements in jujitsu. Very commonly, it's going to be grit in the teeth and clenching down on the jaw and then that starts to bring tension into the face into the neck into the shoulders and I see it all the time of the people that you know at the end of a round are kind of lying on their backs in you know in in, in a puddle in a puddle of sweat and I'm sure other people see that too uh, see that too and so you know one of my observations is that the, the people that can keep going all the time are not carrying all this tension in their face, in their neck, in their shoulders and other parts of their body. They use just enough tension to perform the moves that they, they're trying to perform. Um, let's use the triangle as an example. So if you've got a really good triangle, then the majority of your tension is going to be coming from your legs and you know the hips driving up into the neck. Yes, you can start pulling down the head with the arms and really kind of you know, tensing with the upper body but the majority of that tension should be coming from just the parts of the body that are performing that movement but what i see so often with um an armbar could be a great example if you're on you've got an armbar on top um again a lot a lot of that tension is coming from the legs and the hips and when you lean back yes you're holding on to the arm but it's the it's the drive of the hips and the, the body weight naturally coming back that puts that armbar on Likewise, with the triangle, it's a squeeze of the legs and the drive of the hips that puts that triangle on. Yes, you can bring your arms in and upper body in to help with those movements, but you don't need to be, you don't need a death grip with your upper body. It doesn't need to be maximum tension in your upper body. So think about your, you know, think about your your efficiency when you're moving around and where you're carrying your tension in your body. I think it has a huge impact on obviously a muscular contraction, which which is what tension is, requires energy. And the more energy, the more energy you burn out for, for those movements, the less you're going to have to then carry on with, with your round. Particularly if you're in a fight or a competition where it's it's a it's a it's a minute in and you're gonna go, Oh, I've got this choke, and you're gonna go you're gonna go all out and you're gonna try to get this choke and you're using a lot of strength and a lot of tension to try to try try to get that choke, which is, you know, not not good technique. Um, 
that we should we should all own this all know this if we practice jujitsu but the impact in terms of your your fitness is it's going to burn you out but we've all been there we've all done that we've gone for the kill we've seen something it didn't work out and then we're done and you know what there's a time and a place for it sometimes it works out i'm not saying that if i'm in a final of a big tournament and i see an opportunity i'm not going to go all out for it you know i probably fall foul of the same mistakes all the time but in terms of fitness that level of tension and using that level of tension all the time i see it as a big factor in how fit people feel the next thing is going to be are you going balls to the wall all the time now i don't know if that translates to to my us audience i don't know if it translates to the audience in the uk where i where i grew up and i trained but it was a term that we used to use at least in the gym where I used to train where you know going balls to the wall going flat out going all out like you know like an animal going in for the kill um is a, is a term that we used to use but what I mean is are you are you going 110% all the time um how many think about it how many times have you rolled with someone you bump hands and they just go for it completely off the bat and you know you ride it out for a minute a minute 30 seconds and then they are done if you're uh, look it's a stylistic preference i personally think that jujitsu is all about efficiency effectiveness and picking the right moments to let's say go for the kill uh, with a movement and a position but not all the time there are some people that fight stylistically that way and maybe it works for some people. It's not my view of good jiu-jitsu. I think it's not the view of many people of good jiu-jitsu. But consider that. Are you going all out and flat out all the time? And if you are and you're gassing out, then that's probably a big part of why you're gassing out. That takes up a lot of energy. Those high you know, power, high strength movements, our body hasn't got the energy um uh, you know we haven't got the right uh, enough uh, i use energy as a kind of a very a very broad term um but we were talking about you know the aerobic uh energy systems earlier but if we talk about the anaerobic and the glycolytic energy systems which are then get get into um you know exercises of higher intensity that are typically going to be below uh 60 seconds right down to you know you know a couple of seconds for these max effort um exercises our body is not designed to sustain that kind of movement for long periods of time you you you're going to burn out um if you don't burn out going flat out for for minutes on end then i, I don't want to fight you. you 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 may be a freak um but i see that quite often people they go balls to the wall and then they wonder why they burn out so you know too much tension and going flat out all the time i think are a big factor but the next the next question to ask yourself and this fits perfectly well with whether you're going flat out all the time um where you whether you're carrying too much tension and that tension then relates to whether you're what you're breathing or not is is, is a big factor but you know how fluid are your movements how efficiently are you moving between your positions it's one thing to know the positions and to know the movements in jiu-jitsu and yes absolutely you've, we've all got to go through that stage of knowing how to move well on the mat and effectively for jiu-jitsu but over time 
once you know the movement, start to think about how efficiently and how fluidly you move through those positions. Um, if it's not fluidly, if it's in big jerky movements, then you know, are you? Do you need to practice? Um, you know, do you need to relax more? Do you need to breathe more? Do you need to practice some more movements off the mat? Have you got a strength limitation? Have you got a mobility limitation that means you've got to move in a certain way? And this is again, this is observational, and I think it's one of those things that can be practiced on the mat, but ultimately is just mat time. But also thinking about it when you're on the mat, thinking about it during your warm-ups. Every time you do a warm-up, and I do this when I teach classes, I tell people that don't just go through doing a hip escape. Don't just go through the motions and think, I'm just doing a hip escape. Every time you do that movement, look for that tiny millimeter of difference to improve that movement, to make it more efficient, to move more fluidly through that position. I tell people this all the time. So you've got all these opportunities to try and make your movements more fluid and more efficient. And, you know, in my observations, the people that, well, you know, the ones that never seem to get tired, one of the things that they do is they move almost seamlessly between those positions. They transition from one place to the next almost without even thinking about it. So it's mat time, absolutely it's mat time. But consider it, and I think if you start considering it, then I'm becoming aware of it, hopefully you'll bring it into your game so just to wrap up this section then in terms of if you're if you've got a good resting heart rate but you think you're unfit or you feel unfit when you train jujitsu think about your hydration think about your body weight think about what your nutrition is like think about do you need to supplement with some strength or power training absolutely think about your breathing and think about how much tension you're carrying in your body. Are you going flat out all the time? And are you move, moving fluidly enough? Um, you know, again, for me, jujitsu is about efficiency, effectiveness, and picking the right moments to move, you know, and going, going for the kill. And I think all of those kind of, you know, can, I say correlate because I haven't, haven't done a, but I haven't done a study on this. But for me, are all big factors that can play into what we perceive as fitness. But, what if none of that works? What if you've tried all of these things and you still don't feel fit? Or if you've done your or your resting heart rate is really low and it's 70 or 80 or you know is off off the chart and you need to go see a doctor. There's other things that you've got to consider. There's other things that you know absolutely I can't I can't answer on on this on this podcast. Um there are genetic differences individual differences age differences there are sex differences as well that all of these factors that can impact your cardio your cardiovascular fitness or your resting heart rate so there are you know there are times where you're going to need to do more research you're going to need to go get an assessment and think about you know you've tried everything else but it's it's not working but what i would say about that is we all love myself included to think that we're unique and we are unique in our in our own ways but most people are going to fall onto a bell curve um and i i'm generalizing but i think this holds true in this case and in many cases if you think of a typical bell curve 70 percent of people are going to fall within the middle that's 70 percent you're going to get some outliers on either end but the vast majority of people 
are not going to have these individual differences, genetic differences, etc., that are going to make them unique in some way of why they can't get fit. So absolutely, if you've got particular problems, you should go seek help. You should go get an assessment. Um, you know, do do more do more research, but don't automatically think that just because oh, things are not working out for you that you're uniquely different because most people are not. Most people fit on that bell curve and more strength and conditioning is gonna suit most people, particularly when it comes to when it comes to fitness training. And the, the other thing, and we're getting a bit more into the psychology side of this at the moment, is that if you label yourself as someone that's got a difference, has got a quote-unquote problem of why they can't get fit, what does that do to your mindset in terms of how you approach your training are you going to go after your training wholeheartedly and really try to improve things or are you always going to subconsciously use that label to self-sabotage yourself in terms of your fitness so yes you should go get things checked out if you feel like you're unique and you've got problems but at the same time i think labels are important from the psych on, on um you know the psychology of things and how um, you know how that may impact you I'll give you a personal example and I'm a data point of one and a data point of one you know, doesn't mean a trend but I got um, just as part of you know work about 10 years ago got a health assessment and they measured my heart rate and I, apparently I had a regularly irregular heartbeat I don't even know what that means but it sounds scary and I was meant to do a follow-up and it never happened. And I probably would. And if you've got that, absolutely go see a doctor, go see a specialist and get something checked out. Um, but it's never come up in, in health assessments in the past. And I could have gone, ooh, shit, what have I got to do here? What does that mean in terms of my training? And I'm not I'm not saying when you get these problems, ignore them. and just telling you what I did. This is not a, a advice, advice to follow. But I didn't place a label on myself that I've got this funny heart rate and it's going to impact my training and impact my fitness. So it's just a little a little, little anecdote there that um, I thought I would throw in there. But what else do you want to consider in terms of you know why you're not feeling fit? Um, overtraining. Overtraining is a big factor. Overtraining is not a myth. There's a lot of research to show that uh, when we do too much too often, then it can impact a whole host of factors and one of them is going to be your fitness or your perceived fitness sometimes you might just need to, to rest um i think i covered that in in the last no not in the last podcast but in the second podcast go back and listen to that planning your training maybe overtraining is something that we can dive into in more detail in future shows but think about it maybe sometimes you just need to take your foot off the gas uh, and rest and you know how, how do you know if you're getting enough enough rolling in as well and how do you know you're doing enough on the mat to make yourself fit? Um, again, there are there are no studies on this, or I haven't seen any studies on this. If there are, please send them in. This is observational. I think if you're doing three to four jujitsu sessions a week, or you know maybe maybe five, with some good quality rolling in each session, then that's probably going to give you enough fitness or enough. Sorry, um, not going to give you enough fitness, but enough opportunity to develop a good level of fitness for most people. If you're doing less than three sessions a week, or you're not getting enough quality rolls in, then you know you may want to consider some additional training to supplement what you do in jujitsu to improve your fitness. And that's 
you know, in general, if you've got a high resting heart rate and you haven't been identified as having a particular problem of why you've got a high resting heart rate and maybe you're just unfit and you're not improving your fitness from jujitsu, then adding in some additional exercise off the mat is probably going to be your best and, you know, only remaining option to improve your fitness levels. So it's, it's very hard to prescribe exact protocols that people need to follow because I don't know how much jujitsu you do I don't know what your work demands are what your fitness base is um, but what I would say is just add some fitness work in slowly first of all add one I'll talk about what my you know my more favored forms of fitness training or training to improve your cardiovascular fitness I should say in a, in a second but what it's, I would first of all say is you know pick you know one time a week where you're going to add something into your regular jiu-jitsu training or your strength strength and conditioning and see how your body adapts to it and see most importantly how it impacts your jiu-jitsu because this is all about physically optimizing you or this podcast is all about helping you be a physical best on the mat and off the mat so if it starts to impact you on the mat then then you need to start raising questions because jiu-jitsu in my mind should be the priority if you want to get better at jiu-jitsu um so add add additional fitness work or cut work to improve your cardiovascular fitness in slowly start for one session per week do that for let's say two to three weeks maybe four weeks then add uh, you know an extra session in and keep going right how much cardiovascular work you can add in is gonna depend on your your time uh, resources how much time you spend on the mat etc etc and we've talked about that in in the second podcast about planning your training if you get start to get to you know, four sessions per week, I probably think for the vast majority of people, even if you're a full-time athlete of cardiovascular training off the mat, except in, in instances when you're, you know, you're injured, etc., it's going to be too much. Probably two sessions at a push, maybe three sessions if you're really having problems improving your fitness is going to be enough for most people if you're not getting enough already from your jiu-jitsu training. And I think the vast majority of people should if, you, if you've considered all the other factors we've talked about. But what's what's the you know the best form of training to improve your cardiovascular fitness? Like, yeah, it's it's a huge it's a huge question that I haven't got a definitive answer for. I'll I'll, I'll be honest. Um, it would be a whole you know a whole other topic to to dive into. So I'm just going to talk about what I think are my you know my favorite forms of improving cardiovascular fitness, and I've always favoured. Um, shorter work periods of higher intensity rather than long slow tempo uh, long tra- long cardiovascular training at a lower tempo and a, a lower intensity so a lower intensity would be let's say a 60 minute bike ride or a 30 minute run um, but a higher intensity training would be you know typically a 30 to second 30 to 90 second interval of you know very high exertion followed by a rest period that's equal to about five times of the work period so if you you know did 30 seconds of burpees you would rest for two and a half minutes uh, this is different to hit training or to battle training that i'll talk about in a second um but this is something that i've always been you know a very big fan of at the times that i did do a lot of cardiovascular uh, training particularly when i was playing rugby it's a way that i I don't do it as much anymore, but you know, trained in preparation for for competitions 
for for jujitsu, and it's what I've given to you know dozens of clients for to them to to improve their fitness. It's I think it take takes care, uh, you know, a little bit of kind of you know some of the power and strength requirements uh, as well. Some you know higher intensity training has been shown to link to you know improved hormone optimization. It takes up less time in the training. You can just get in and and, and get it done fa- fairly quickly. Um, and you know you can do running up and down steps, running up and down hills. Or my favorite, I used to do this um, when I was playing rugby, running up and down sand dunes, which is tough, but but it but it but is awesome. So that's you know my more preferred method of cardiovascular training. Um, you know in, is in, is interval training, and it takes many different forms. Um, but hit hit training or Tabata training is another form that's been shown to improve improve cardiovascular fitness i need i need to brush up on some of the stats on that but it's a very you know common method to 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 use and improve sporting performance um and but you know let's let's be very clear about hit and hit it's h-i-i-t or tabata training as it's actually traditionally called hit or tabata training is 20 seconds of flat out effort that's flat out, like you almost cannot do any more. And then 10 seconds of rest, and then you go again. Um, most people, when they're doing Tabata training, are not really doing Tabata training. And it's, uh, you have to be really going flat out. Let's make that really clear. Doing that 20 seconds and then rest and rest for 10 seconds. Now, that rest period, depending on your fitness level and where you're coming into in terms of um you know your, your training experience maybe you want to extend that 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 period and i would recommend if you've not done any training for a very long time you're coming back from you know a, a long period of inactivity for whatever reason build up to this one slowly don't just jump into an exercise routine and go go flat out for 20 seconds build up to it over time if you think that's going to be the right method of you for you to improve your cardiovascular fitness um, and one of my favorite things to do, and I do this when I'm traveling, and I know I'm not going to be able to make it to jujitsu. I haven't got much time. I'll get on a treadmill. I won't turn the treadmill on, but I'll just hold the tra- I'll hold the handles, and I I run and get the treadmill moving with my legs. Like it's I think it's called a tread treadmill sled push, like you, exactly like you're pushing a sled. Do do eight rounds of that. So twenty seconds running, ten seconds rest eight times and i believe that's the correct p- protocol for for tabata training apologies guys i've i've, I've maybe not researched uh, and brushed up on the details and some of these as i should but if you look at tabata training you'll see you'll find the protocols if you google tabata training and tabata is t-a-b-a-t-a um try try doing that that, that treadmill sled runs for eight rounds 20 seconds flat out 10 seconds rest eight times you're gonna, you will be blown out of your ass. Um, I, I remember the last time I did this when I was, when I was traveling, I had to, I had to leave the the hotel gym and just walk around the hotel a couple of times. I thought I was gonna be physically sick. Um, that's how intense it is, and I haven't, I don't think I've ever been physically sick from training. It's, it's bloody tough. Um, but you know, some people don't like this high intensity training. They don't like interval training. They prefer long, slow, tempoed exercise, something like swimming, something like 
you know, cycling or running, which, you know, absolutely has been shown to improve cardiovascular fitness. But if you're going to do off-the-mat training, why not do something that's going to be more applicable to jiu-jitsu? Why not take a gym ball or a Swiss ball, you know, the, the correct term for them, those big inflatable balls that, you know, you see people, um, you know, sweating all over and rolling all over in a, in a, in a gym. I personally think it's an amazing tool to practice your movements for jiu-jitsu. And if you do it at a pace, let's say for three rounds of five minutes, at a pace where you know your heart rate is you know sufficiently raised and your breathing is you know starting to feel um, you know rel- relatively heavy, then you can use that as a way to improve your fitness while improving your movement and while improving your breathing. Um, you can improve your breathing in any like you know um, with a uh, you know in any any form of exercise, and you should be nose breathing you know pretty much all the time when you're at rest. Um, but back to the gym ball movements or. You know, there are drills that you can do um, without the gym ball on the floor, solo drills that replicate some of the movements that you do when you train jiu-jitsu. You know, why not do some of these kind of movements or animal movements, I think, is, um, you know, they're not directly related to jiu-jitsu, but I think they replicate some of the the positions, some of the joint angles that we need to employ in jiu-jitsu. So, you know, it doesn't need to be running, it doesn't need to be cycling, it doesn't need to be swimming. There are other ways to improve your fitness while you know in my opinion still improving some of the movements for jiu-jitsu as well so take all take all this into consideration um and that that was the last point that i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap up here i hope you've i hope you found this interesting i hope you found it helpful i hope you can take some of these practices put it in put it into into practice on the mat and you know i would i would just leave you with with this thought if you've got a good resting heart rate And again, to determine what is good, look at resting heart rate charts on Google and you're going to find a bunch of information on, you know, for for your age and for your gender, where your resting heart rate should be to be teamed, you know, excellent or an athlete. If you've got a good resting heart rate, then you're still gassing out when you train jiu-jitsu. It's probably not going to be, you know, quote-unquote fitness that is your problem. It could be hydration. It could be, you know, weight. It could be nutrition. It could be a lack of strength or a lack of power. Um... It could be breathing. I think everyone is going to benefit and improve how they how fit they feel by improving their breathing. But then it could be too much tension you're carrying. You could you when you're rolling, you could be going flat out too often. You may not be moving more fluidly. So don't automatically jump to the conclusion that I need to improve fitness. Um, and I think it's I, I I think this is a topic that you know we're all going to continue to to, to learn more about. And I, I don't think I've I don't think I've know all the answers for any subject. These are just my thoughts based on, you know, the research that I've seen, you know, my personal experience, training, and also my observations on the mat when I'm rolling with people and when I'm watching people and I'm teaching that I think, you know, impact fitness. So take it away, guys, um, you know, g- g- give that stuff a go and, you know, let me know how you get on with these. If you've got other topics that you think, you know, play into your fitness, let me know if you think I'm wrong, if you think I've, I've fucked up some of the facts again let me know find me on bjjstrength.com to find you know get all of the great content that we've got on there the free breathing for bjj course you know information about planning your routine information about nutrition information about recovery uh youtube.com forward slash bjj strength a lot of videos there and at bjj strength on instagram come find me guys get in touch and thank you for listening